Okay. Do you put ornaments on it? How about you put that one on there? Remember why you should have a real tree next year? <laughs> a fake tree. Who has fake trees? Jesus is real. You should have a real tree. You guys have a real tree? Oh, yes! That's for you. It does take batteries. You guys have a real tree? Maybe next year. This is perfect for you. You're extra fancy. That's a fancy ornament. Today we're talking about Christmas ornaments. I love Christmas ornaments. It's been a family tradition of ours for a very long time. Um, my mom would always get us Christmas ornaments, and my grandma would get us Christmas ornaments. Christmas ornaments actually started in about the 16th century in Germany. They started decorating their Christmas trees with various accoutrements, um, candles and whatnot. Popcorn and cranberries, I don't think, came along till a little bit later. When the uh, settlers came to America, they, they thought, hey, we're going to celebrate Christmas in America by decorating our Christmas trees. And the Puritans, uh, the Scrooge McDucks that they were, said, oh, no, you're not. That's a pagan thing. In 1840, Queen Victoria uh, was married to Albert, who was a German guy, and Albert said, oh, how we celebrate Christmas in Germany is with hand-blown ornaments. So Queen Victoria decides we are going to now celebrate with ornaments on our trees, and once people realized, hey, if the Queen's doing it, we should all do it, it became this huge thing. So 50 years later, by the 1890s, Woolworth's department store was selling approximately $25 million uh, worth of German imported ornaments made of uh, lead and hand-blown glass. Christmas ornament business is a huge business. I had thought about um, cutting discs because I thought this is a great tradition that I heard about this year. You cut uh, the disc off the bottom of your Christmas tree, your real Christmas tree, because it needs to drink water. And so you take each disc of every year of every tree, and then you write the year on it, and then you hang it on your tree as a reminder of the trees of old. And I thought I should cut a disc of a tree, and then I should um, put on there a Christmas tree with an ornament on it. So you would have a Christmas ornament from a tree with a Christmas tree and an ornament hanging on your Christmas tree. That would be hilarious. 1973, Hallmark introduced the keepsake ornament, and I have a few keepsake ornaments right here, some of my favorite ornaments of all time. Um, Sylvester with Tweety, circa 1995. Um, to uh, Granny, I mean Sylvester, isn't he awesome? Ooh, I almost, I almost dropped it. I checked um, the rare or the most expensive keepsake ornament that you can buy um, today on the uh, aftermarket goes for $800. This is another one of my favorites. It's Daffy, Daffy Duck doing a Daffy. <laughs> See what they did there? The only problem is Daffy is only has one pole, and at one point he lost an arm <laughs> and both legs. I think the pole is probably still at 404 East 15th in Yankton, South Dakota. This is my, one of my oldest ornaments, 1984. That was not the year I was born. Um, but it, it's a sled, and um, it used to have something else on it. I don't remember what it was. I love Christmas ornaments. We have many of them. We have so many of them. We have to have two, two real trees in our house. 
It's okay. Next year, there's always next year. It's actually probably not too late. You could probably still get a real Christmas tree now. So why do we have Christmas ornaments that decorate our trees, whether they be fake? Now, let's be real. See what I did there? It's not an imitation tree. It's a fake tree. So just be honest with yourself. It's not a used, it's not a pre-owned car. It's a used car. You don't have an imitation tree. You have a fake tree. Christmas is real. We are in Luke um, today, and we are going to be in Luke and through Christmas. And as we've looked over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Mary and um, her encounter with the angel and learning about her um, pregnancy. And so today we're going to get Mary's voice um, in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1. The interesting thing growing up in a very Protestant context is for the longest time I shied away from engaging with Mary because that wasn't what we did. And so I thought, what better thing to do than hear from her today? And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my, res- my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. So what we didn't get is Mary has gone to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth makes this declaration to her about who Jesus will be. And so Mary writes this psalm or this song about her pregnancy. And she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's this time of year, right, that we sing joy to the world. And I think in some ways we are culturally handicapped by our um, tradition, in particular the Norwegian Swedish tradition of, well, when we come to church, it's serious. Very serious business to come to church. And it's this heritage handicap because we we are more like Eeyore when we're singing joy to the world than as if we actually were experiencing joy. And this month, this last week, was the second Tuesday as we concluded um, 2018's uh, disciplines. And this month's discipline is celebration. And Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Disciplines, concludes the book with celebration. And he says this, he says, far and away the most important benefit of celebration is that it saves us from taking ourselves too seriously. This is a desperately needed grace for all those who are earnest about the spiritual disciplines. It's an occupational hazard of devout folk to become stuffy bores. <laughs> this should not be. Of all people, we should be the most free, alive, interesting. Celebration adds a note of gaiety, festivity, hilarity to our lives. After all, Jesus rejoiced so fully in the life that he was accused of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. Many of us lead such sour lives that we cannot possibly be accused 
of such things. But we're very reserved. Heaven forbid we would rejoice with a little whoop every once in a while. I mean, we get a little bit crazy, and we'll sometimes clap if we get a really good song. But I mean, come on. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Joy is a gift that comes because of who Jesus is. We sing joy to the world because one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And it brings up this interesting question of what is the difference between joy and happiness? Well, as Mary Poppins will tell us in the new movie, which I can't wait to go see, joy is like a spoonful of sugar. It's like 12 inches of fresh powder on the first morning of your ski trip. It's like that that rare time when you go from Niswa all the way to 94 and you hit every single green light and you're like, woohoo! Then we get excited. It's like the Vikings make... Maybe next year. The difference between joy and happiness is like the weather in San Diego versus the weather in Minnesota. San Diego, it's always sunny and 70. We never know what it's going to be here. Or it's like my golf game compared to Rory's golf game. You just never know what you're going to get. Or have you ever tried to have a fire with just paper? It just burns right up. Joy is this ever-burning fruit of the Spirit that comes because Jesus came at Christmas time. And Mary is rejoicing in who God is and that he has selected her and that he is bringing about the restoration of the world through her baby. And joy is this corporate discipline. It's meant to be shared. Laughter begets more laughter because laughing by yourself is so awkward. Thank you. You know, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through this um, life of David with the youth. And la- a couple weeks ago, it was 2 Samuel chapter 6. And David uh, finally decides that he's going to bring the ark into the place where it needs to be. And as he, they're bringing it into Jerusalem, David is dancing, and there's music, and he clearly wasn't Baptist. And so he's doing this joyous exuberance, and his wife, Michael, looks out her window and has such contempt for him that God actually doesn't allow her to have any children. It's like Friday night. We were out for Nikki's um, staff Christmas party. And we were at one table, and like the, ser- the good people, the important people were at a different table. And everyone was ordering at our table, and I overhear from the other table about the special that night at the local, which was prime rib. And so I just take the menu. I don't need this. I know exactly what I want. I want the prime rib. So they get to me, and they're like, wait, what? There's prime rib? I'm like, Yeah. I'll change my order, I'll change my order, I'll change my order. And then it came time for dessert, and we're like, um, there's dessert? (laughs) We'll take one of everything. Did I mention it was a staff Christmas party? (laughs) Joy is the difference between settling 
for a hamburger because we think that's all we deserve and experiencing some delicious medium-rare prime rib. And the best, I mean, paper-thin au gratin potatoes, so good. But we think about happiness and we miss out on joy. And this isn't a fake joy. We're good at that, pretending to be joyful. It's a real, heartfelt, burning in our soul, rejoicing about who God is and what he has done in our lives. And Mary says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, This word humble is actually uh, better translated as low estate, meaning poor estate. Mary was not an important person in the eyes of the world. She was not a person of particular social status or of even comfortable means. Mary recognizes that she is of low estate. She is a simple, broken human being. And she says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Jesus enters into a broken world through a broken person being Mary so that he can heal the brokenness in the world as it exists. He says, I did not come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And in this uh, month, we've been, some people have been going through the pulse uh, radio station and the word, they, they set out this, this challenge to read through the book of Luke one chapter a day. Uh, so there's 24 chapters in Luke. There's 24 days before Christmas. So reading one chapter a day. And it's interesting that yesterday, December 14th, chapter 14, Jesus gives the parable of the wedding feast and he invites, he tells his, the, the parable says, go out and invite the lowly or the poor or the widowed because those are the people that I have come for. I have come to heal the brokenness that exists in the world. And Mary says, he has looked on the humble, the broken estate of his, service, of his servant. Because brokenness is where healing actually begins. Bread is not made without breaking the grain. Coffee is not made without breaking the bean down so that it can be extracted. Muscle fibers are not grown without breaking them down first. So after my first marathon, I was in great shape, and I thought, I'm not going to let this go away. So I took a week off, and then I decided to keep running. So I went out for an eight-mile run, and towards the end, I was like, ooh, my right knee, it feels a little hot. And not in a good way. And so I took a day day or two off, and then I ran again, and I could only run three miles. And I'm like, what is happening to me? I just ran a marathon, and now I can't even run three miles. Then I couldn't even run to the Arden Hills Library. And I had to admit that I was broken. (laughs) That the only way to heal my brokenness was to take action. But so often we deny the brokenness that exists in our lives. 
If we have a broken bone, we don't try to hide it. We go get help. The interesting thing about brokenness is we often can't see it until we get up close. Because if you saw Daffy hanging from the Christmas tree, you would say, wow, that's cool. That's a cool ornament. But then when you get closer, you realize, oh my, (laughs) why didn't you throw him away? He's broken. Because that's the whole point. It's not about having the best, newest, nicest ornaments. You don't buy new ornaments every year. You buy a new tree every year. (laughs) Because the brokenness of the ornament tells the story of the healing and the memories. So I read this book a couple weeks ago, The Broken Way by Ann Voskamp. And she's talking in it about this relationship that she has, a friend of hers who lives in Hong Kong, and she takes care of or has adopted all of these orphan kids who have broken hearts, meaning they have heart defects, and their families have rejected them. And her and Anne have had this ongoing relationship for quite a while, and Anne finds herself in the hospital with one of her children who has been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And they're emailing back and forth, or messaging back and forth, and Anne's friend says, I think this is the first time since I've known you that you've opened your heart. You came to me and shared voluntarily. Anne responds, you mean, are you saying you've always had to commit a break in entry to get into my heart. Yeah, something like that, but this time you gave yourself without being asked. You just gave your broken heart. I think, this is Anne speaking, I was always reluctant to share any of my own brokenness with you because I didn't want to add to your own life that was full to the point of breaking. Didn't want to be a burden. Didn't want to cause more breaking. Mia replies, yeah, I know, but you know, that is why I didn't think we were real friends. Oftentimes, we do so much to hide our brokenness because we don't want people to see the defects that exist in our lives. And we live in a culture that says, well, just throw it away and get a new one. You can't get a new 1984 wooden sled that was made in Taiwan that has your name on it. You deal with the broken one because the broken one has meaning. But in order to see the brokenness, you have to get up close. But we spend so much time keeping everyone else at arm's length so they don't see our brokenness. We hide the broken ornaments on the backside of the tree so that no one will see them. But the reality is that Jesus comes into the broken world to heal the brokenness through a broken mother who is Mary, and Mary acknowledges that. He has looked on the humble estate of of his servant. You're like, of his sermon. Yeah, your sermon is broken. I get that. When you're broken, you make broken things. Jesus came at Christmas to heal the brokenness. He came so that we could acknowledge our brokenness and not hide it or cover it up. And she goes on and she she says, 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. How do we remember things that God has done? Every time I get to pull these out at Christmas time and hang them on my tree, the real one, too much? (laughs) I remember... I remember the Christmases past and the brokenness of these ornaments and the memories and the history. And the reality is at Christmas time, often we are reminded of our brokenness. Because instead of having one Christmas, we have two Christmases or three Christmases. And I remember when we used to have Christmas Eve with my dad and Christmas morning with my mom because of the brokenness of relationships. And Christmas becomes this time where we don't look forward to it because it's a remembering of our brokenness when in reality it's a remembering of the healing because of the mercy that Jesus Christ brings to us. How do we remember things? This is a journal that I started in 2013. 2003. And I pulled it out the other day because I wanted to look back and remember the day that we found out that we were pregnant with Maddie. It was, April, it was February 29th. And I would read it for you, but I can't read it. <laughs> I tried first service. It took two Kleenex. How do we remember things? How do we remember the mercy of God in our lives, the compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. We had this mercy rule when I used to coach in Belfouche, and if we were up by a certain number of points, the game was over. (laughs) Christmas time is a reminder of the mercy that God shows to us. And Mary is calling to all Israel and to us to remember the mercy that God has extended to us. And each one of these ornaments is a reminder of the mercy that God has given in my life. And it is a celebration of the days gone by and the Christmases gone by. And yeah, I could throw them away. But that's not the point. The point is to remember to remember the love that Jesus had for us to come into a broken world through a broken mother so that he could repair our brokenness. And that is the best thing we're celebrating. So when we sing joy to the world, we're singing joy to the healing of the brokenness of my life. 
that I remember the mercy that God has given to me. It's not just joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea. It is a reminder to celebrate that joy has come to the world in the incarnation, in all our brokenness, all our shortcoming, all our desperation. It serves as a reminder of the mercy of God that he loved us so much that he sent his son so that we could experience healing from our brokenness and celebrate through living lives of joy. Let's pray. Father God, we come this morning, the third Sunday of Advent, looking at traditions, looking at ways in which we celebrate the season. looking at the psalm of Mary and the joy that she has because you have chosen her in all of her brokenness to come and to enter into this world to show your mercy to us, to offer to us your gift of salvation, your gift of healing from the broken parts of our lives if we would simply open up and share them with you. Holy Spirit, would you move in us? Allow us to relinquish the brokenness in our hearts and in our lives to you so that you can heal them, that you can fix them. And may we celebrate and remember Remember the mercy that you have extended to us and celebrate the healing from all of our brokenness when we accept your Son as our personal Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.